Welcome to the Mastering Retention Podcast, presented by UserWise, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. My name is Mike, and I work on the marketing team. This week, Christoph Sachsenhausen, Managing Director over at Sunday, joins Tom Hammond to discuss the level of detail that goes into creating and marketing hyper-casual games. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Heyman, co-founder of UserWise, and uh, really excited that today we're going to get to talk about hyper-casual games and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, today, I'm joined by Christoph Zaxenhausen. Perfect. Perfect. Got it close <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, German, actually not as bad as Finnish names, you know, where they sometimes have like two silent eyes in it or something that throws me off, but I'm getting better. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, cool. So, you know, Christoph, you've been the managing director at Sunday for a while, but uh, before we dive into everything, um, I always like to start with like, what's your story? Like, how'd you get to be where you are making games, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> That's a great question uh, that uh, it's not so easy to answer because like I, took some extra routes in my life. Uh, so yeah, where should I start, right? Because I, I will try to start at the beginning, right? So I, I think yeah. teenage me would have been super proud of me that I'm now <laughs> being in games, right? Uh, I remember a time where like it was my, my biggest dream uh, uh, in my life to go to the E3, you know, Entertainment Expo in, in LA. That oh, it was so cool. I want to go there. Uh, and um yeah, I, I, I would have imagined that I somehow do something with software or like games in the future, but never, never so concrete. So yeah, like I, I basically started programming and developing software with the, at the age of 14, 15, like there was no YouTube back then with fancy tutorials. So I had to do it by buying books and going through very nerdy uh, uh, manuals and documentations. Uh, yeah, I really liked that. Uh, but then uh, took a detour uh, and studied uh, engineering and uh, um, like industrial engineering. So something also techy and uh, nerdy somehow, but not really related to computer programming. Uh, and, but then I somehow fell in love with uh, like startups in general. I really liked the uh, atmosphere. You know, I did an internship at a, uh, back then it was Rocket Internet, you know, this company that, uh, this German company that cloned all the different business models and mm-hmm. uh, from the US and set them up across the world. So I was an intern there in one of their companies. And I was like, all right, that's really cool. That's a nice energy. You know, it's like very different to your uh, usual corporate job. So like in this internship, I already had a lot of responsibility and I felt like, okay, I want to do something in this direction. That's really cool. I can have a lot of impact here. And when you have a good idea, this can change everything, right? Yeah. So yeah, then uh, uh, I, I founded my first startup with two friends together. Um, uh, maybe one, one or two, two years later after the experience, but of course we failed. Uh, how it usually is, like still it was like a soft landing, right? It was still not a huge investment, and it was during our studies, right? Uh, and then I started working with a um, German e-commerce platform. Back then they were not so well known, like they were just starting out, only one one year old or so it's called mm-hmm. about you i don't know it's probably not so well known out of outside of europe but uh they actually made their ipo last year so and right now they're pretty big already yeah and i awesome. basically built up their um 
like the mobile product. So that means uh, that when I joined, there was no app, there was no mobile website. Uh, and I, personally, I never made a, an app in my life, <laughs> not even like on a, on a large scale or anything. But yeah, I just I, I thought like, yeah, okay, figure it out. I can I can make an app for you guys. So I started as the product lead. Uh, and then this was back in 2015, where mobile shopping just started to pick off really, right? So, um, I mean, games are always like the front runner in like setting up uh, how user acquisition stuff like works, stuff like this works, right? But e-commerce was a little bit behind, but catching up. So, uh, yeah, uh, so cool potential in this. And uh, yeah, suddenly like the whole user behavior started shifting towards mobile. <laughs> Everyone yeah. just, just shopping on their phone. Uh, so also that the product got super important for the company. And suddenly, like I, I started in a small back corner with a team of one developer, basically. <laughs> and suddenly we were like 30 people. It was really cool. And then uh, wow. in the me- meanwhile, like the two friends that I uh, uh, founded the first company with and that we failed with um, started a company called the, the uh, called AppLike. And they have been super successful in this area uh, and building up very interesting group of different companies under this umbrella and then they asked me like hey guys uh, we 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 need a we need a publishing company we need our own our own games chris yep. like I, we know you have never made a game in your life but I, we 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 think you can do it right so you <laughs> you never made you never had anything to do with fashion or e-commerce in your life or you never had anything to do, anything to do with apps uh, you still could manage this so yeah you probably are able to do a, a successful games publisher right uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the founding story. So to say, right. And yeah. I just thought, okay, what's a fun name for a, for a mobile games company and what's, what's easy, what's casual, what, what's something that everybody can relate to. And then Sunday came to my mind and, uh, the infamous, uh, already, uh, ice cream <laughs> <laughs> as a logo. Uh, yeah. And, uh, since then it has been like, uh, two and a half years since then. And, uh, yeah, we, we basically started out also, same way it was just me in the beginning and then i started hiring people and trying to figure out how to build games uh and uh, yeah until now we are also again 30 people uh we have uh, <laughs> six successful hits in, in the play store and in the app store uh and yeah heavily growing this year so the goal for this year is to uh launch uh, 15 new games we are already wow. good on track there with uh uh, four already like we always need to be careful what you consider so like so is, is that like a soft launch tested game or like a full no 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 soft launch much more than this <laughs> <laughs> i'm not counting those but these are the games that uh, are uh, running profitable on a larger scale so that means like one million installs plus per month that's impressive very impressive cool um okay so i feel like hyper casual everyone except maybe and maybe you guys are doing it but it seems like there's this exodus towards casual games like voodoo maybe did the biggest move of buying beach bum um but you know i I talked to these other hyper casual folks and everyone's trying to get into casual games um launching casual studios trying to get like a little bit more casual get that longer term retention and stuff what's actually the state of hyper casual right now like like what's going on like give me the lowdown yeah sure uh, i mean there's a reason why everybody is trying to do it and that is 
um, it, it's, it's not so easy like it was maybe three or four years ago, right? I think like three or four years ago, you just came up with an abstract concept of like a ball bouncing around that took any funny team out of uh, social media. There were only like very few people that were able to develop those games that were able to understand really what how you need to build the levels and how you need to make the game design. And back then you just uh, uh, set up your Facebook campaign and check like, hey, the CPI looks good. Uh, uh, let's put them ads in and, and we, we, you just turn it up and you're profitable, right? That's, that's how it worked. <laughs> and it's like scaling heavily through social media and through the top charts. And like everyone was going for number one position and a lot of organic downloads. And uh, what has changed uh, since then is uh, it's, it's much more competitive. Uh, so I think uh, um, to have, an, I mean, the goal of hyper casual always first is to have an ad that looks interesting, that gets people to click on it, right? And to install the game. And uh, um, what's now out there is much more fine-tuned to seek people's attention. So there, there are so many games that are crying for your attention. And as a hyper-casual player, you have like such a broad pick of super interesting games so that it's super difficult to stand out. That means just the, 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 there's still the same or more amount of people playing, but there are so many more games out there that are super fun and addictive and uh, they're, they're also getting more polished, more higher uh, quality um, and also longer retention times uh, than, than it was before. So it just, it's just getting more difficult and you mm. uh, it's, it's not as easy to scale a game anymore and to develop one. On the other hand, there are much more studios now. Like there are thousands of small studios out there that can, that, that know the process and know how to build the games um, and that get, get better and better over time. Uh, but still like the competition is super, super high. Um, yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's not anymore that you just create your social media campaign and just generates, uh, yeah, exactly. Now, like the, the UA setup is more sophisticated. Yeah. Right. You need every ad network in there. So you usually, uh, don't just scale over just social or Facebook or TikTok. You always have like 10 plus networks. You need a good setup uh, behind that. Uh, and every every project is a little bit more risky than it was maybe two or three years ago. So um, yeah, it's, it's just less. It's, it's much more competitive. It's less easy, um, and uh, a, a lot of people. Yeah, you, you could say that when you. I mean, it's a super cool benefit when you have a large inventory of uh, hyper casual games because in the end you could see hyper casual games as impression multiplicators for your. Uh, inventory or as also kind of onboarding to more complex games, right? So I always like to see the hyper casual business model as you, you, you get a user in by showing 10 ads to people and one of them installs, right? But then you need to show 20 ads to this user to make, uh, to make them profitable, right? So when, when you see it like this, it's a, like that you have multiplied the impression that you can show by a factor of two, right? So that's, that's super uh, useful, of course, when you also own uh, a casual game that you can uh, like much more effectively monitor, uh, acquire users than for, right? So it's just, a, it's just a good synergy, I think, then you, that you first own the hyper-casual inventory and then also uh, start something, uh, like find something that's a good fit uh, that you can uh, use your own inventory as a source for the casual game, right? It's a good that's strategy. Interesting. Yeah. 
Can you maybe, just for folks that are listening that don't have a clear understanding, like how do you view the hyper-casual games as a business model? Yeah, yeah, that's, I think the, uh, like the, the, the hard truth that I already mentioned, like you can, you can see it as impression multiplicators, right? Or so like onboarding to, to more complex games. In the end, it's uh, like the hard business model is just like any other uh, free content publisher, same like, uh, um, like a news website, right? Like BuzzFeed. Like in the end, what you have, you have a product that is able to generate uh, an a- attention uh, and that keeps people's eyes on the screen. And then you can see, okay, how many ads can I fit in there without people getting annoyed and leaving and churning, right? And what's mm. what's my acquisition cost? Like, what does it cost me to get people on there? And then how can I keep them as long as I can? And how can I monetize basically every second death that they have their eye on the screen, right? That's the same with every ad monetized publishing business. Uh, um, also with TV shows, right? I think like Hyper Casual has a lot of similarities to TV shows, actually. Like the more you binge watch the show, like you, the more ad blocks you can have in between, right? So it's the same uh it's the same model um yeah and and that's just just the business part but then uh, in in the center of it you is is you have you need to have very very good content so right this this content creation is uh what i like to think about like the beauty about hyper casual because there's no way how you can make it without extremely good content and and, and you know like people like to uh, joke a little bit about like what I mentioned already with, with hyper casual that we are just like these ad machines, you know, like you, you get users in with ads and then show them more ads. And yep. that's true. But this doesn't work when you don't have something in the middle that's extremely well crafted. And the definition of extremely well crafted maybe differs a little bit from triple A or from casual games because there it's about different experiences, right? I think mm-hmm. like. Uh, I like to compare it, and again, another analogy, I'm super sorry for it. I like to compare it to uh, f- to food maybe, right? So your AAA game is your three-course menu. It's uh, you, you take uh, your evening for it, right? You really enjoy it. You want to like a good introduction. You want to know uh, where your meat is from, maybe if your vegetables are organic, right? So yeah. everything well-sourced, uh, good production value, definitely. And then you sit down and you enjoy it over the course of uh, uh, the evening. And then uh, you have something like a casual game, which is more like uh, uh, like a Big Mac, maybe, right? So <laughs> it's something that you like, just just grab and you consume. And it doesn't really make you feel good, <laughs> but it's also not supposed to. <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it just creates like this appetite for more. Maybe, maybe you're like more hungry after the fast food than before, <laughs> <laughs> or you feel a little bit sick. I don't know. But okay, and and um, like hyper casual, how do they fit in there? Is there's more like the uh, um, I don't know, like a handful of M and M's or gummy bears or whatever, right? So you just these tiny snacks that you take in, in between breaks. I, I was predicting Nobody... the, TV, the TV dinner, but yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, say yeah, the, the snacks like are better. This. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the snacks are more like. They give you like this small, uh, like each each bite is like a like a level in hyper casual level. They're super tiny, they're super short, and they give you just this short pleasant feeling, which doesn't last long, of course, but it's also not supposed to be. And nobody would su- suggest that your diet should just consist of peanuts or M and M's, right? It's but it's still super nice to have them in your life, right? You have the moment they're super stressful. You can choose like okay, like people used to smoke cigarettes to to calm them down, or you just play a level on a cool game, right? So it's like these small relaxation moments moments that are like stretch out into in your daily life that you maybe don't even realize. It's the same like watching maybe a TikTok video, right? Maybe you're like 
five minute mm-hmm. break you just want to decompress get your mind off and you know like now now you open just tiktok and scroll through five videos every video is funny cool whatever it makes you laugh and same with the same with hyper casual right so and it, but again for this to work same as on tiktok the majority of the videos are crap you need to find the like top one percent that are really 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 good uh, and when you have this then uh, uh you can build your whole user mm. acquisition strategy and add monetization around that but you you need to keep people's eye on the screen with, with, with uh, extremely good content. Yeah, I think I get it. So that food analogy finally did it once you added the M&Ms in. You know, mm-hmm. when I was uh, at the in-laws house for Christmas and New Year's or wherever we were there, um, for some reason, my mother-in-law decided to buy like all these terrible snacks. I didn't want any of them because I want to stay healthy. But uh, out of all of them, they had this like really big thing of like peanut M&Ms. And I kid you not, every time I like walked by, yeah. it was the peanut M&Ms that called out to me. Like I didn't care about anything else there, but I really wanted those peanut M&Ms. Um, exactly. And it's like, you know, every time I could probably walk by and take a couple and, you know, over the course of a day or the week that we're there, probably would have eaten the whole thing. But you know, it wouldn't have felt like it because you're just eating a couple at a time or something. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, of the other content, you know, those other snacks, none of them called out to me like those peanut M&Ms that were just like, you know, you want some. I love it. So as hyper-casual games have kind of evolved, there's been just many different publishers, things that have kind of come about. So can you tell me a little bit about Sunday? Like what makes Sunday different from other publishers? Sure. Um, I mean, but but when when you are a small development studio and you you're trying to pick the uh, best publisher to work with, uh, of course you always just you need to watch out for like how capable are these guys, right? So how good is their user acquisition? How good is their monetization? How well can they support you in game design? You know, uh, how well can they test your game and look at the metrics? How well can they provide you? with the uh, different metrics that you need to improve your game and also the financial support is uh, uh, critical right so uh, you need to pay your for for your rent for your for your salaries of, of your own and, and for your team uh, and you know we usually we are working together with uh, young guys and girls all across the world and for them it's uh, uh, like they need this financial support to keep their small studio running um, on on a daily basis, but of course, like when they land a hit with us, it's it's, it's life changing for them, right? So that's what everyone is hoping for, and then it's, it's for them, it's like a kickstart in the games career, definitely that we have seen several times now, and um, so we need, you need all of this, right? So this is the bare minimum that every hyper casual uh, uh, publisher needs to provide, and that we provide as well, right? And then uh, I think there are different uh, specializations uh, in the industry. You know, for example, when you work together with Voodoo, right? So mm-hmm. they're super well known for, they have this uh, like secret formula for game design. They give you this like super condensed tips on how to make the game super crispy. But on the other end, you're still like one of one 5,000 studios, right? So uh, uh, if you are not the super rock star, uh, you're just one, one small fish in a big pond of other developers, you won't get a lot of attention, right? And then you have other uh, publishers that use a different strategy of uh, uh, throwing money at you <laughs> if you're a rock star. And, but then the rest basically gets nothing, right? I, I'm not saying who, I haven't mind there, but people <laughs> in the industry maybe know. Um, and uh, we, we are also, you know, we're, we're trying to support as much as we can with game design, uh, with uh, financials. But, uh, but, but we, we, our approach is uh, what we call developer empowerment. 
And what is this? You know, like I mentioned a little bit in the past, no, I, I really like software development. I, I also know how hard it is. And we have three in-house teams here. That means like when we first started out with uh, Hypercasual, um, you know, it was this uh, moment where we say, okay, like, yeah, we, we want to become a publisher in the future, but we don't really know what we're doing here. Like we need to figure it out first for ourselves. So mm. what we did is like we built out uh, three in-house development teams and actually had our uh, uh, first and also major success with this. Our game, Cat Escape, is 60 million downloads now. And with this, we learned so much. And also we learned so much about the process and about the struggle also, right? So on uh, um on a, a empathetic level, we can very much relate to all the developers out there in terms of it's very hard to come up with something that works, <laughs> super hard, and the motivation is super difficult. Um, but uh, uh, when when it, it, you can make it work, then it, it can be really changing everything. Um, and also, you just need a lot of crea creative freedom, a lot of support in this uh, area. And especially in the beginning, you struggle with so many different things that we can just take away from you, right? And we, we, we already went through this process and went through this valley of tears like 100 times with our own games or more already. And like we know exactly what you can expect and, and we can coach you through this, through this post process, right? So we know uh, uh, exactly where are the struggles and we can much more uh, relate to this and, and, and support you there and uh, should support you with, with all the uh, different tools that you need. I, I literally just asked, or I typed out the question that I was going to ask you about mm -hmm. tools. Um, so let's maybe uh, talk a little bit about uh, folks that are maybe thinking of starting a new hyper-casual studio. So um, there's three questions and I'll kind of take them through. I probably have more questions because I'm very inquisitive. Um, but, you know, the general concept is like, how can you find success as a hyper-casual studio? But maybe going further, like what people slash like roles does a new hyper-casual studio need to be able to make games? And like, what sort of tools and systems does a hyper-casual studio need beyond, say, just like a Unity? Because I assume there's some additional frameworks and things that you need to be able to be successful. So um, I guess summing that all up, like how can you find success as a hyper-casual kind of new studio that's launching? Okay, sure. Interesting question because uh, what, what we've seen so far, uh, usually the best studios are the ones that are not coming from uh, from from another game direction, right? Because uh, we we actually also have some people in the company that work in in other gaming and also mobile gaming areas uh, before, and they thought like, yeah, I know how gaming works, I know how mobile gaming works, and then they started hyper casual and they realized, okay, this is really different. Like it's a, it's a very different approach, and they needed to unlearn a lot of things first and then relearn them in a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's possible, but actually, people who come uh, from outside the industry have a small benefit there because they don't need to like rearrange their thought patterns. They can just jump right in. Right. So I yep. think um, the first thing that, that really needs to happen to, to find success in, in hyper casual, you just need to open yourself up to the reality of the testing process and how the games look like. Right. So don't try to uh, uh, um, like reinvent something that, that worked or maybe take something that worked in another gaming area and you try to tr somehow transport it with the same mindset. The games that we are seeing right now in Hypercasual are the ones that are successful, not because nobody tried something else. Everything has been tried. Everything is constantly being tried. Only the ones that you're seeing in the top charts are the one out of 1,000 experiments that actually work. So 
you can probably assume like if you have a really good idea of like, hey, I, I will take a completely new approach about hypercasual, how to make the game design there. And I want something, I don't know, super like a triple A narrative game and uh, and I will, will take three months just to build a storyboard or whatever. People have done it, people have failed with that, right? So you just need to accept this reality and just uh, uh, like give yourself to the hyper casual process and just accept it. That's the way it is. And then really trying to master it, right? So um, trying to understand what motivates player to play thousands of levels, right? We were seeing this in some games. Another example, Kedescape, it has 200 levels. Uh, after that, they just start looping, but we see people playing 5,000 plus levels, right? So, well, why, why is that? Like, well, what, what makes people motivated to actually do this? Um, and then also understanding what makes people convert on an ad, right? That's the other aspect, really understanding, hey, what, what, how can you make something that, that, that's relatable to people that they know, but also feels so strange in a certain way that they want to try it out. And it's like, okay, wow, that's something I need to try, right? So we, we are regularly seeing uh, in, in our new prototype tests, ads or creatives that have a, a CTR of 20 per, 20% or more, right? Which is, I think, for uh, other games or like other ads, it's extremely uncommon. Um, and yeah, just there, there is a formula behind it. There's a lot of things that you can learn. It doesn't mean that you have a guaranteed success, but you can extremely increase your success chances. And, and this is a lot of, um, of course, a lot of experience, a lot of failing, but there are so many resources out there that you can just get into and a lot of conference talks that are being recorded and a lot of tips that you can get from everywhere. And you just need to really dive in and follow this. And then, as you mentioned, like what roles do you need? Uh, uh, my personal opinion is to keep it as slim as possible. So that's also true for our internal games team teams here. We have just um, on every game prototype, we have a maximum of three people on there. That means one person who's uh, we, we call them game lead. So that's that's a person that uh, thinks about the uh, game design itself. So how does the gameplay feel? What emotion do I want to trigger with this? Uh, but also is able to create the levels um, and the mechanics uh, behind the game and also takes this producer and project management as a role. And then one programmer um, or developer, gameplay developer, we call them, because this person is not like your classical c-sharp guru that knows like every technical detail but it's much more focused on they are able to use unity effectively and build uh, uh mechanics with with unity so that means they are able to create with like just a few scripts and uh, a few unity uh objects they're able to create a level out of uh, uh, um, uh like yeah thin air basically in just a couple of days and then uh, a technical artist so uh, again, not some concept guy that uh, is able to scribble beautiful concept art in, in Photoshop, but someone who also works directly in Unity uh, and can implement models, animations, visual effects and stuff like this and gives us this like extra crispy feeling of the game, right? So these are the three roles that, that we have staffed internally for our teams, but that we also like look out for in every team that we work with like hey how how are these mm. three main capabilities spread out across the team and that's where we see most of the success that makes a lot of sense so you mentioned emotions um when trying to create a hyper casual game what sort of emotions do you typically see linked to hyper casual games or like should you be trying to elicit if you're again looking to try to hit 
you know, create the next top hit. This aspect of emotion, uh, like emotion that you can trigger with your uh, game are uh, really heavily related to the marketing, right? So I think that's the, the main reason how we can achieve uh, such high CTRs because, you know, like what makes a hyper casual ad stand out is that you can create one of these super strong, but also super basic human emotions in just a matter of like three to five seconds. That's, that's the goal that we have with our, with, with every ad. And this, you can use the whole uh, human emotional spectrum, like but what I mentioned on a very basic evolutionary level. So it must, can be something like growth, right? As a human, like, or as a living being, we all want to grow. We consume things, we grow, we get bigger, we get stronger in, in the physical, but also uh, conceptual context, right? So that's a, a human need, a human emotion. Uh, and you can see this in classical uh, hyper-casual games like whole IO, for example, right? You're this whole moving around and you constantly swallow things and you get bigger. Then recently there has been a trend of uh, hyper-casual merging games. You know, mm -hmm. for example, you have like two weak dinosaurs, you merge them together, you get a bigger, stronger dinosaur, right? <laughs> Or you, you have a runner and where you collect things over time and you, you, I don't know, you're a bodybuilder, you collect dumbbells and you get stronger, stronger, stronger until at the end of the level you're break you're able to break through walls through this aspect of growth, right? Then there's other things uh, which might even be um, uh, uh, like something like disgust, right? So a little bit like uh, you, maybe you have a slime that's moving around and it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit, what's that? You know, it's uh, <laughs> this feeling. Then you have stuff like uh, social acceptance, right? So um, we have seen some of these uh, uh, social uh, hyper-casual games where it's more about fitting into a group, getting... Uh, uh, um, like uh, acceptance from your peers and uh, uh, but also like fearing rejection by your by your group like super basic human need acceptance by the tribe or rejection by the tribe right um, so a lot of aspects in this direction also like reproduction also always works right that means like uh, uh, like babies pregnancy and stuff like this this always converts because it's like so we are just being triggered by this as humans, but also the aspect of reproduction in terms of multiplication, right? So you have seen this in games like Count Masters, right? It's been a top chart game for like, at least always in the top 20 somewhere for the last two years, I think. And um, they just really did a really good execution on this. You, you have one person and you run, run through a multiplication gate and you multiply and you get more and more people, right? So this feeling is, is also growth, but also reproduction, right? So it really boils down to like super, super basic human emotions, human needs that are almost, I would call them like animalistic, right? So it's something shared across every culture, across uh, uh, every living being almost uh, can, can experience these feelings. That's very cool. If I'm thinking a little bit about how to iterate or find a idea for a game, do you find that you have any tips or lessons learned? Like, you know, is it good to look at currently hit games and try to like iterate on them? Is it good to look at like TikTok trends and try to iterate on them? Should you just try to come up with something completely net new or, you know, what's yeah. your general approach? Yeah, the, the, you, you already all everything that you mentioned are already like really good and uh, uh, um, valid approaches. Uh, it really depends on your level of maturity as a, a studio and as a game designer, right? So I think when you start out in the beginning, what's a, what is a good approach is to just take a top charts game and try to find a twist on it, right? That's usually 
it's the easiest way. And that way you also see the most prototypes happening right across studios. So when you look at tools like store glide, if you heard of this, right. So there's like, they have this scraper of like constantly daily new stream of incoming, uh, uh, uh new prototypes and hyper casual. They, and, and usually it's some, some kind of runner variation of what's currently in the charts and they're trying to find twists and change this and change something around here. So that's, uh, the easiest entryway, so to say, and you can make a hit game like this. Uh, so it's pretty, uh, uh, like the entry barrier is pretty low, but uh, the success chance is also not too high, I would say. And then what you mentioned is you can take a social media concept and get try to gamify it, but it must be really a good fit, right? There have been some games in the past that have been able to do this, but uh, not every social media concept can be gamified right what what we usually see like okay we have a good game and then you can use a, a social media trend or pop culture trend to increase the marketability by uh i don't know there's a batman movie out now so i assume any ad that shows uh hey you can get a batman skin uh, or like a skin that looks like batman in the game probably gonna have a, a higher conversion rate than usual right so that's some aspects that you can use as a tool but also building a whole game around a social media trend uh, is challenging and it also can go quickly away, right? So these trends usually only last a couple of weeks, month. And then um, if you find something, that means they usually also convert really well. So they are scalable on social media networks, which is a lot easier than scaling them on SDK networks. Uh, uh, but then it might be over in two or three months, right? Um, what we have seen to work really well uh, is either taking... Um, an older hyper-casual game, so something maybe that's one or two years old or that was a hit in the past, and really turning it sideways and trying to find something, how to interpret this in a, in a new area, right? So you cannot just make a clone or a copy. You need, you need to put it into in the how games look right now, right? Because the current hyper-casual looks, look, games look very different than how they looked two years ago when it was even a little bit more abstract, like three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one famous example that we once tried, but it failed was, you know, the game, uh, Helix, uh, uh stack, what was it called? Helix jump. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we have this ball b- bouncing up and down. Right. And it then can go through the platforms. So what happens when you turn it sideways and it's a runner and then you run against these, uh, uh, obstacles basically, and you try to dodge them didn't work out, but that's a way how you can. <laughs> twist something that has been successful in the past. Uh, but of course, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's never like a guaranteed success, but it, this can work out definitely. And also getting inspiration from um, other indie games, right? So uh, one, one of our games uh, that we recently hit, uh, launched and was a hit was Zoologic. And it's inspired by, uh, I think, 2003 Steam game called uh, um, Incredible Animals. I know something like this. Uh, uh, where you basically you, you can you can merge your own animal together, like you can take body parts from a giraffe and a lion and rhino legs, and then you have a super weird, funny animal with like, and each of these body parts give you different stats and abilities, and then you can in the art there's, there's an RTS game, like uh, you can really build your army and resource management, the whole complexity behind that. But we just took the part of the animal building stuff, right? So this weirdness of, okay, you have a, a unicorn hat and then eagle wings and you put this all together 
and the creation that you have out of this looks super weird, super funny. And when you when we watch the ad, watch the ads for this, you you like have, everybody needs to laugh when they see it, and everybody wants to try it out. Um, but then the gameplay itself is much simpler. You just like have a like a super easy battle battle game where you just run against the opponent and try to defeat the opponent. Uh, 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 so the, that's something that also can work really really well, like at getting inspiration from older Steam games, indie games that are maybe like 10, 20 years old, right? But you can extract something from there. But the extraction process is also difficult and putting it into a hyper-casual context. Uh, um, but if you are able to do this and you can master this, this is what we are seeing the uh, highest success chances right now. Also, especially since right now you have this new genre almost of um, hybrid casual games coming up, uh, or which I called Idle Arcade, right? So a lot of people are trying out different idle arcade versions right now because they allow more complexity. Um, and usually uh, what you have in idle arcade is that you, you know, that there has been this trend like five years ago where everything was an idle game. Everybody tried idle games with different topics. But, you know, the problem was that, uh, or the problem is right now that this type of gameplay doesn't appeal to everybody. Not everybody is being triggered by numbers going up and like by automation. I personally like it, right? I get, I, I really like setting up my system and automating everything and seeing the numbers go higher and higher and higher. But the biggest share of uh, players, I would say, really prefer a direct interaction and doing the things themselves than automating them. So what I like it uh, does is basically taking those idle games and making them manual. So making an arcade version of the previously already automated game. So one, one super famous, famous game is Idle Miner Tycoon, also by a German uh, company, yeah. super successful. And there are games, like well, there are games where basically control the little miner guy, go down and uh, uh, dig uh, through all the ore and then transport it up again and sell it. So everything that the, this Idle Miner game already did, but with a joystick, and you just control everything manually, right? So taking the fun uh, and giving it back into the player's hand. So that's also like a super interesting category that's being um, explored right now by a lot of studios, including us, where you can do a lot of new stuff. That's very interesting. I love that. It's yeah. exciting stuff. We don't have a ton of time, but I still have a lot of questions. So I'm mean, going to like go through these maybe rapid fire. So one thing that I, I did want to call out is I, I know traditionally hypercasual publishers, you know, do very LTV greater than CPI type you know, based. In, and I know you guys do something a little bit different beyond CPI that incorporates, you know, conversion rate and IP. Like, can you just like walk me through what that actually means and, and yes. why you guys use it? it? I mean, in the end, when we scale a game, of course, we must pay less money than we earn with the game. Otherwise, it's impossible to earn money with it. Of course, that's, that cannot run profitably. The question is like, what happens before? Like, how do you uh, find out if the game can scale this way, right? Um, mm -hmm. and like I mentioned how, how it was in the past, you know, it was more like, yeah, you create your campaign in Facebook and you turn it on and you just buy 1 million installs a day and that's it. And you're, you're earning money and this is not so easy anymore because just the, uh, yeah, the social media landscape has shifted a lot. And I think the biggest problem that we're seeing right now is first of all, Facebook CPMs have gone up a lot, uh, in the recent years, um, and also this whole ATT stuff, right? So iOS 14 has killed a lot of the user acquisition on, on Facebook for iOS. Um, so what we are trying to figure out in the early stage of, of the game is not, hey, will this game scale on Facebook or on social media? 
We're also trying to figure it out. Sometimes this works, but it's only for rare cases. We are more interested in, okay, the, you know, our games are going to scale 90% in the SDK networks anyway. So we want early data on will this game get a good IPM, uh, IPM with a creative on Unity, on Iron Source, on Integral, on AppLovin, and so on, right? And in the end, what we do there is showing then the ads in the Facebook audience network. So we're not specifically targeting audience network, but usually uh, when we run a, a test campaign for a prototype, then mostly the Facebook audience network picks it up and shows the most impressions there. And in the end, for the user experience is the same, right? So as a user, you don't differentiate between, okay, that's a Facebook ad. Oh, that's a Unity ad. That's an Iron Source ad. Man, for, or even for me, it's sometimes hard to tell. <laughs> uh, so like in theory, right? The click-through rate and the interaction with every ad is the same. And yes, Facebook has better targeting maybe than Unity or Iron Source, right? Because they have more data. But in the end, I, I as a person see an ad, I click on it when I like it and when I want to interact with that. So we use uh, the Facebook campaigns just to measure the marketability in terms of IPM. Like how well does this ad convert? And the problem is CPMs are going up through the air, then going down again. Christmas time is crazy. Then they're dropping again. Then ATT stuff happens. Everything is uh, changing. Uh, 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 you know, then Q4 earnings are coming. Everything is changing again. You know, so uh, uh, we, we don't trust the Facebook CPM. Uh, and we, we try to get it out of the equation. And when you have CPI and take out the CPM, then you're only left with IPM as your metric. That's basically the reasoning behind that. And that's, again, what I coming back to what I said at the beginning, right? An IPM of 100 which we are often seeing means every 10th user is converting on your ad and installing your game. And then you know, okay, I need 10 ads to uh, get users in. And like, then I, I can show 15 over the lifetime. Then I have five impressions on the plus side, right? And mm -hmm. yes, CPM on acquisition and CPM on monetization are not the same. Uh, this is also, you know, because everyone takes a, a revenue share cut there. Um, <laughs> But uh, 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 that, that's the basic formula. Like assuming both CBMs are the same, then it's just impression trading. Gotcha. Oh, that's very interesting. What do you think about live ops in hyper casual games? Like, should there be live ops? Should it just be a, a stagnant game because you're only going to have seven days of retention anyway? Or yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very good question because I also know that, that that's your expertise, of course. And I think this this area of I like Kate opens up a lot of possibilities there, right? So, like I mentioned, a lot of people are experimenting there. Uh, uh, what what is possible and the good thing about I like Kate is that you have like, like super long-term uh, retention is possible. Like also in our game, Kate Escape, we, we, we see people playing after 90 days still, right? So there are some games that stand out where you can do this, but of course you need to do it in a smart way, right? The, the problem is that in most games, you don't really have an uh, in-app economy based on hard currency and soft currency, right? So you need to find something that works. Uh, and usually what works in hyper-casual games is more of direct rewards, right? So it's not, it's not like you need to farm for a currency over the course of, course of uh, three days and then reinvest that or buy something with it. Like, hey, you play a level. Hey, here's a skin. You want that? Watch an ad and you get the skin directly, right? Mm -hmm. So it's more in your face rewards uh, without the long buildup period before that, right? Uh, it, it, it's just like super difficult to create a demand for a, for a currency. Yeah. Uh, it's it's almost time. like it's almost like you would need to have some sort of uh, consumable. So like in, in Cat Escape, if yes. you added like a teleport item, 
that, you know, if someone is about to find you, you can use a teleport and it, you know, jumps you away or something. And it's, it's yeah. valuable to the players. Yeah. Now I want to play a few more levels so yeah. I can earn that each day kind of a thing. Exactly. Because like in, in the end, a casual game is all about, yeah, you can create the value of the hard currency and the current uh, soft currency over time, over a lot of sessions. When you get into the game, you don't know what the currency is, right? But hyper casual players, they don't want to get so deep into like economy management, right? They just yeah. want to enjoy this little snack, this little peanut, and they don't care about the, hey, how, where, where's the peanut being produced? I don't care, right? Where's yeah. it from? Uh, just give me the peanut, right? It doesn't matter. Right? Okay. Yeah. Next question. Multiplayer and hyper-casual games. Usually I see them, uh, you fake it and it's like bot, but it's obviously a bot. And to me, who loves competitive games, there's nothing like trouncing somebody else with my skills in a game. Do you think that could be useful or could be a, you know, good long-term retention. Because I mean, if you've got a good core mechanic, it doesn't really matter how yeah. the game is otherwise. Yes, definitely. I agree. Um, so what's interesting is that I have not seen any hyper casual that's been successful uh, with multiplayer. That's super strange, to be honest. I, I, there must have been some people who have tried it out. So I don't understand why it's not successful. Maybe it's just too much complexity for some to like that they're avoiding to try it out. Uh, but what, what definitely uh, is more suitable for multiplayer is um, when you run your game on a social platform like snap games or Facebook instant games, right? Because then you can invite your friends to play the game with you. Right. So I think this is like a, a layer that is definitely more able to work. Right. So Good well, example. Maybe, maybe like Park, right? Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe Agario or Slitherio. Yes. Might I don't know if those are considered hyper casual, but I know that they do have more yeah. multiplayer. Yeah, they're, 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 they're the inspirations for for hyper casual games, right? So definitely, yeah. But um, yeah. So yeah, one thing about uh, a, a multiplayer that's maybe off putting for hyper casual it's it's too difficult, right? So. Most hyper-casual game players are not skilled and they don't want the competitiveness. They just want the small enjoyment, right? So you probably grew up with games, same uh, same as me. So we we know how it feels like to uh, really go in deep. But, you know, like as a hyper-casual player, you just usually want the small rewards. You want to win. What we Where we see where people churn in our games is where they often lose, where it's getting difficult and where it's frustrated, frustrating, right? A Dark Souls player likes that. They're like motivated by this. Oh, I want to try harder. And next time maybe I beat an opponent. But the majority of this like super broad player base that we are targeting or not targeting to be more specific uh, uh, is uh, put off by this, right? So maybe when you build a like a competitive version for your hardcore players, and then they can engage uh, in multiplayer. Maybe that works, but for the broad target group, it's broad target. difficult. Yeah. yeah. Or it, it just adds too much risk. So you'd almost have to like look again, what were successful a couple of years ago that had fake bots in it. Could we recreate that, but with the full back end to attempt yeah. it? But is that too much risk? I don't know. Fascinating. Okay. A few more questions. Um, you mentioned that you have partner studios. How do you guys go about finding partner studios? And if someone is maybe interested in being a partner studio with you, like what's that process like? Yeah, sure. So um, we are very open to to work with anybody that approaches us. So yeah, we have definitely this open channel, like send us your portfolio, send us your games. Uh, you can do it through our website uh, or uh, just sending us an email or contact us on LinkedIn. So whatever works and what like 
just send us what you did before. I think that's the only thing that matters. We just want to see some prototypes and see a little bit of your production quality. Um, and like how we kickstarted last year, you know, we, we only started publishing in May actually, and we already have a, a network of 50 active studios. I should say like, it's actually much more, which are inactive, but 50 active studios that we're working with. And we were uh, mostly acquired to, to many of them through, through conferences, right? So there are some interesting hyper casual conferences happening right now. Um, and yeah, I think through our approach of being more approachable and more developer friendly than than most publishers and also supporting the the community by putting out good content and showing them hey this is how it works this is how you can make your game more successful right that's something that worked well for us in the last year and that's how we could build up this space of studios but of course we are still just in the beginning there right so we we, we are aiming for much more this year love it um what should casual or hyper casual game teams learn from hyper casual games it's a very good question because uh, I don't want to be uh, too overconfident here in telling the casual ga- uh, guys what to do because they are already good at it, right? And I'm, I'm not coming from casual games, so I only have a rough understanding, but uh, I, I think it's just the, the iteration and kill speed, right? So, um, but again, it's different focus, right? Like I mentioned, casual games are more about sessioning and putting everything into, you know, these like forming habits while uh, 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 hyper is more like rushing through the experience and small dopamine injections on, on, on the way and keeping you going. But I, I think um, on the marketability research side, like before you start a project, uh, how can you test faster if this is something that is currently uh, converting well with players, right? So, uh, um, I mean, hypercasual is the manifestation of fake it before you make it right so uh um just just create some gameplay that you imagine like just spend like two three four five weeks on a prototype that looks like a game even something that people people can play and like for just for one level to see if the core gameplay the core loop resonates with people and then start building around that um and like getting the marketability in first instead of doing you know, everybody does their research, everybody works with data and might work right now, but getting more hands on earlier and getting more real user data in as quickly as possible. I think that's something that not just casual games, but actually every um, app industry or online industry can can get better at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have three questions. I'm going to merge into one. <clears throat> it's related to the actual marketing side of things. I don't know about you, but I see Royal Match ads everywhere. Um, and they're not the same ads. There's like, I don't know, a hundred different versions of some level of Royal Match in, in some sort of fashion. Um, so kind of curious, like how many ads does it take for a player to install a game? So, you know, it, it might, let's, let's say it takes 20 views of different Royal match game ads before I actually take the gumption to download it with kind of tight in there. Like how often should you change ads and how many different ads should you have running at once for the game? Like, should it just be like the single ad that has the gameplay or should there be a whole different, you know, I don't know if you sort of know what I'm asking, but. Um, yeah, sure. I, I'm, yeah, sure. Again, I can only speak for hyper casual, right? But we yeah. do it, but we focus on 
basic core gameplay for us, right? So we create 10 levels out of every level. We create an ad and see which one picks up the most traffic, which one has the highest conversion rate. And then we try iterations on this, right? So let's change the colors. Let's change the skins. Let's put uh, different music on there, like different label, different caption, different text, different end card. Put a playable ad uh, before that, after that, whatever, right? Uh, and then also like constant stream of trying out new stuff, right? So what's working in pop culture? Hey, there's a Batman movie. Let's try Batman. You know, stuff like this. So constantly <laughs> trying to inject uh, noise and randomness from the side and seeing what picks up until we find something with strong signal. Oh, that's something that resonates. And then trying variations of that, right? And usually we see, uh, I, I mean, uh, yeah, ad performance goes down, down over time. Of course, more people see it. Uh, the less performant it is, but also, you know, because taste changes, people's uh, uh, preferences change. So uh, oftentimes we see the first declines in, in IPM and performance after four weeks or, or longer. But on, on social media and especially on TikTok, it can be even like after one or two weeks, actually. So you need to be super fast. And for every new game that we launch, our goal is to start with 300 ads and then constantly come up with 100 new uh, ideas uh, every month and, and, and like injecting new stuff in there. And it doesn't need to be super revolutionary stuff, can be iterations on what works and what not. Uh, yeah, but that's our aim at least. And then, uh, yeah, it's, but you mentioned like how many ads do you need to see before you actually convert? It really depends, right? So, um, and it's difficult to measure because usually you don't have this data on impression level, like if the user has seen the ad before. What we are seeing on Facebook, and Facebook gives you a little bit about this data, like how many ad, like unique views per user do you have and how many unique people have seen it. So, um, but, but usually in like on, on a scale, you're not able to see it in the SDK networks. But again, I think the, the behaviors maybe they're a little bit different between casual and hyper casual where hyper casual immediately grabs your attention while for casual it's a narrative it's a little bit, you yeah. have seen it 10 times ah, okay yeah let's try it out you know i have it looks fun you know i have seen it a couple of times yeah now i'm gonna try it yeah. out right so that that's maybe different uh, behavior and, and, and conversion on the ad yeah okay that's great you talked about like how do i have the most ad views per second you know whatever I see most hyper casuals. Sometimes they use rewarded videos, but usually it's just the interstitial forced ad, you know, between levels or whatnot. Are banners any good in hyper casual? Like, I don't really see most people using them, but like, you know, I see them in Woodoku by Triple Dot, and yeah. I have a lot of respect for them. So I'm curious, like, you know, if you've got one of those persistent long time gameplay sessions where you have fewer of those interstitials, like, can banners be useful at all? Banners are definitely useful. So what we're seeing that they make up around. Uh, 10%, 10 to 50% on top of the ad revenue, I would say, what that we earn through interstitials and rewarded videos. Still biggest share, like 78% still comes from interstitials, then like 10, 15% banners and the rest is rewarded video. But it also depends on the game a little bit. But, you know, biggest share is interstitials. But without banners, it would be super difficult to to scale the game. If we, if we didn't have the banner revenue, it would be tough. Uh, and yeah, and like just speaking from Buduku, I, I mean, uh, my my girlfriend is addicted to this game, so she probably already generated uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars in ad revenue just through banners. <laughs> so yeah, they they, they are definitely uh, important, especially when you have re very long session times, right? Because it's very non-intrusive, doesn't make people churn really. Um, 
people mostly don't really uh, care about a banner ad and it's just um yeah it's it's directly just uh, uh monetizing the, the session and playtime right so yeah definitely definitely uh, uh important ad format yeah that's great Okay. I, final question. And it's the unofficial question because we are on the master retention podcast, of course. And that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to increase retention? Like how do you keep your players playing for longer? Yes. So one tip that we are using is that uh, it's always good uh, that people don't know what to expect next. Right. So we try to build our games in a way that you never really know what happens now. You know a little bit what's going to happen, right? So the gameplay is similar. They use the same mechanics, but you never know, okay, what the, the, the next level is going to be a new challenge, a new situation, maybe a new mechanic, something that I haven't seen, like a new twist. And you always want people trying to like anticipate, oh, what might be next? What might be next? What might be next, right? And trying to miss, like fearing to miss out on the next ex- like fun experience. That's what we are uh, uh, trying to get with every level, with every game. Like that element of surprise. Exactly. Honestly, actually, one of the uh, first games that I really played by myself, um, and I think I was like 10 years old at the time, was Might and Magic 6. Um, mm-hmm. And terrible graphics, but I, I still love that game. Um, but what's interesting with Might and Magic 6 is each creature that you would encounter would usually have anywhere at least one sometimes like two or three different forms um so like first you stumble upon the creature and you've got to learn how to deal with that and then you'd like stumble upon the upgraded forms you'd have to like learn how to deal with that but there's lots of doors and chests and things in might and Man. And it was always like you never know what's going to be behind this yeah. door when you open it up and, and it's intense moments where you open it up and it could just be filled with guys that are going to come try to kill you and stuff. Um, So it sounds like taking that same concept, you know, incorporate that into your games. I love that. That's great. Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, Christoph, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, If folks do have any questions or want to learn more about Sunday, is is there a good way to get in contact with you? Sure. Just uh, write me on LinkedIn, right? I'm usually quite responsive. uh, Or uh, yeah, if you, if you are interested in the corporation, just write it at, uh, contact at sunday.gg or pub- publishing at sunday.gg and yeah we will usually get back to you quite quickly on this awesome well thank you so much have a go thank you very much it was super fun